Magnesium is integral for 600-plus biochemical processes in the human body, and yet most people are deficient. Common signs of magnesium deficiency include fatigue, muscle weakness, stunted growth, poor immune function, poor concentration in memory, hormonal imbalances, bone and teeth problems. Most people think grabbing a bottle of whatever cheap stuff on the shelf or at the top of Amazon will solve this. The common misconception is that consuming more magnesium will automatically improve health and well-being. The truth is there are various forms of magnesium, each of which is essential for a variety of physiological processes. Most people are deficient in all forms of magnesium, while even those considered healthy typically only ingest one or two kinds. Consuming all seven of magnesium's primary forms is the key to accessing all of its health benefits. That's why we pack seven forms of 450 milligrams of elemental magnesium into each serving of Wild Mag Complex. One dose a day is all you need. Learn more and grab a bottle today at wildfoods.co. Use code GENIUS for 10% off your order. Okay, and he was, you know, by day three, he was crawled behind the chair, really, really scared. And there wasn't really anything there behind the Christmas tree, crawling under the window seals. Finally, I called a colleague of mine. And I said, okay, can you come over here and just take a look? And he did. And he said, you need to get him to the hospital or to a doctor right away. So I called the third day and it was a different pediatrician. I call and he suggested I take him to Vanderbilt right away. He said, it sounds like an acute onset of pandas, which I'd never heard of before. So we did rush to the emergency room and me believing that physicians would understand what was going on since physician had told me to go there just thought oh you know check him in let him know he might have pandas and they would take care of it well that was the furthest from the truth and it would take several years to undo or unwind what was actually occurring so we ended up in the hospital for three days forget frequently asked questions common sense common knowledge or google how about advice from a real genius 95 percent of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed five percent go above and beyond they become very good at what they do but only 0.1 percent are real geniuses richard jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you he hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field sleep science cancer stem cells ketogenic diets and more here come the geniuses this is the finding genius podcast with richard jacobs hello this is richard jacobs with the finding genius podcast now part of the finding genius foundation we're going to talk to the author of what's wrong with my child and America is infected. Uh, her name is Elizabeth Harris. She's a science-minded business owner with more than 20 years experience in the field of wellness. And we're going to talk also about the uh, root cause of many autoimmune conditions. So, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for inviting me, Richard. I'm looking forward to this. Oh. Tell me a bit about your background and uh, how you got onto this topic. I've seen a lot of people have personal experiences with topics like these, but go ahead. What's your background? Yeah, it's usually like survival of the fittest, right? So I have a degree in biology and minor in chemistry and then master in sports medicine for Cooper Institute. I was in the spa business and, and doing really well. Had two children, biologically two adopted children. When my 10-year-old next to the youngest boy came down with some very, you know, very scary symptoms after a group A strep infection. What do you mean symptoms? Like what? We began walking back and forth between the kitchen and the living room over the transition strip, like very OCD. At the time, I didn't know what OCD was because I hadn't really seen it before. And 27, 50 times, he had to walk with his left foot first, and then the clothes weren't dry enough. And 
I needed to boil his toothbrush, all of these very extreme behaviors or quest action, you know, and then I contacted the pediatrician and he said, oh, he's just, you know, being a kid. I'm like, okay. But then on day two, he began building this monstrous tent that overtook the living room. Every chair and blanket in the entire house. I called the doctor again. He said, oh, he's just playing hide and go seek. I was like, okay. And on day three, he was crouching behind the chair in the living room. And eyes, pupils were huge. Thought, kind of felt things on his skin. And seemed very scared. At the time, I didn't know what the symptom of paranoia was or whatever. I think he was just, well, scared. Well, let's make a quick question. It sounds like you're moving away and back towards the microphone. Consistently, it's making the audio go up and down. I don't know if you can uh, just stay closer or just notice that. Okay, yeah. And he was, you know, by day three, he was crouched behind the chair, really, really scared. And there wasn't really anything there behind the Christmas tree, crawling under the window seals. Finally, I called a colleague of mine. I said, okay, you come over here and just take a look. And he did. And he said, you need to get him to the hospital or to a doctor right away. So I called the third day and it was a different pediatrician I call. And he suggested I take him to Vanderbilt right away. Said it sounds like an acute onset of pandas, which I'd never heard of before. So we did rush to the emergency room and me, believing that physicians would understand what was going on since a physician had told me to go there. Just thought, oh, you know, check him in, let him know he might have pandas and they would take care of it. Well, that was the furthest from the truth. And it would take several years to undo or unwind what was actually occurring so we ended up in the hospital for three days i i guess psych somehow got in there which i didn't know the difference between the specialties they all had white coats on so they would ask me questions i felt like they were all from the same team they were not they did a spinal tap they did all kinds of testing and they they let me know that he was still positive for the group a strep and he also had pneumonia which they didn't tell me at that time, but I learned later. And they gave him IV antibiotics, and the symptoms went away. And so they sent us home with a referral for cognitive behavioral therapy and a prescription for Zoloft, which I thought was just... Why why would they do that if the uh, antibiotic worked? I thought that was a really bizarre solution to this. And when we were checking out, I was like, okay, whoa. And I had learned that his anti-DNA titers were at 14 to 80, which is really, really high. That's actually group B strep. But at the time, I didn't know that. Um, and I asked them, I was like, okay, so what is he diagnosed with? And, you know, he wouldn't let me see the chart. I was like, what, what's going on? So I, I honestly just reached over and kind of grabbed it. And I said, and I saw it, it said psychosis, like NOS, not otherwise specified. And I was like, okay, 10-year-old kid. 11-year-old kid doesn't just randomly come down with psychosis that goes away. It just doesn't, none of it makes sense. But, you know, you have to do what they say or or you're accused of, like, you know, not obeying them. And so we went on and did 30-something CBT visits and tried the Zoloft, which he didn't like at all because it wasn't the right treatment. You know, and then about a year later, it happened. And he did have some ups and downs with symptoms throughout that year. And, you know, it's hard to know when they're that age. Are these behaviors or symptoms? You know, it's just like this constant guessing game. And so when it happened the second time, I called a CBT therapist and I demanded she come to the house. And I was like, I'm not going to be paying for this therapy if this is medical. And so when she saw him, she said, this is, I'm not going to see him anymore. He needs to be seen by medical for more rule. But then, of course, medical wouldn't see us and kept saying it was behavior. It was just awful. It was horrible. 
you know, and mother's intuition. Yeah, it sounds like you're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with no help. No help whatsoever. You know, I just, I guess being a scientist, and I had developed some devices. I was a trainer in my industry, national trainer, and I've seen a lot and done a lot. And so I couldn't help but observe these patterns. And it was like, it would kind of come in waves. And sometimes this uptick in uh, symptoms or behaviors, whatever you would call them, would last a day or two sometimes four or five days, but with the group A strep, it was really, really bad. And so I didn't really understand what was going on with those differences. But in the eighth grade, our pediatrician said, oh, in seventh grade, I'm sorry, she did something really bizarre. And I knew he was in a flare is what I was calling it, a flare up. And I, I told the school administrators, I don't think he needs to be at school, you know, but if you don't take him to school, then the cops come and charge you with truancy. So now you're bouncing between psychiatric, medical, that doesn't know what to do. They do, but they're not doing it. And then now you're adding cops. I think it's just like, how is anyone supposed to function in this place, you know? And um, I did consider to school under force. And, of course, he did something really crazy. And then the principal threatens him him with a felony. And I'm like, nuttiest thing I've ever experienced. So, you know, I'm listening to the doctor trying to, even though I'm losing a lot of faith quickly, and he said, well, it's your, your plurality. And I thought, well, if that's the case, I can easily fix that. So I stopped consulting, and I stayed home with my three children, all at the nanny dough, and sat home with them, and I implemented this program called Total Transformation, and that'll, and we stuck to it like glue. I mean, I already kind of parented like that anyway, so it wasn't a big deal. I just laminated the charts, and... You know, put the marbles up, color coding and everything. And it just didn't make any difference at all. But the thing was, is I could see his heart. And he didn't like to, like, upset anyone or bother anyone. And if somebody told him he was doing something wrong, he was very upset. He, he was just so sad. And he, he just couldn't make it to the Friday to get the reward. So I backed it up, like, Wednesday and tried to do it like that. Because you just can't parent every child the same. And so I guess it was this morning, you know, May of 2013, when it really got horrible, was he got group A strep again. And this was only the second time we'd had experience with actually that organism. And this time, it just overnight, immediately went to a whole new level. It's like an overnight change. And the nurse had called me and said, you jump get finding you sick and come pick him up bring him home and he's just like defiant and he's never been defiant before like i mean no kids i don't want to or i don't please don't you know they know why bad but never had he just outright like been defiant magnesium is integral for 600 plus biochemical processes in the human body and yet most people are deficient common signs of magnesium deficiency include fatigue muscle weakness stunted growth poor immune function, poor concentration and memory, hormonal imbalances, bone and teeth problems. Most people think grabbing a bottle of whatever cheap stuff on the shelf or at the top of Amazon will solve this. The common misconception is that consuming more magnesium will automatically improve health and well-being. The truth is there are various forms of magnesium, each of which is essential for a variety of physiological processes. Most people are deficient in all forms of magnesium, while even those considered healthy typically only ingest one or two kinds. 
Consuming all seven of magnesium's primary forms is the key to accessing all of its health benefits. That's why we pack seven forms of 450 milligrams of elemental magnesium into each serving of Wild Mag Complex. One dose a day is all you need. Learn more and grab a bottle today at wildfoods.co. Use code GENIUS for 10% off your order. Yeah, it sounds like it was affecting his mind a lot. It was affecting his mind. You know, I felt awful as a parent from giving in to the pressure of the teachers and the cops and the principals. I just feel horrible. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now because, you know, I succumbed to all of these pressures and I, you know, I'd been threatened. He's threatened by the juvenile system at the school. He's threatened by, by, I think there was another, oh, the total transformation. Say, well, that's what you do next, take him to the juvenile. I didn't know what juvenile was, but I said, well, you know, you can either go to that juvenile or you can follow the rules. And he chose to go to juvenile. Ah, you were at the time I should have known that he was not right. He wasn't able to make that decision. You know? How old was he at this time? Can you hear me okay? How old was he at this time? I'm sorry. He was 13. Mm, yeah, difficult age. Okay. So what, what happened then? Keep going. That was, that was torture. Like, if I thought the school was bad, that was a thousand times worse. It was just full of people that had really no interest in helping children get better at all. Well, it's jail, essentially, for kids, right? I, I couldn't believe it. I was mortified. I thought it was going to be a a center, like a help place. Like, And I talked to the officer about it, and he explained to me that there was all the, there were services and support and all these things and that was just absolutely not the case at all and um yeah that that really put a lot of pressure and i won't go through all that that's in the book and but as it came down to it i had found him a place i got him had to get him ivig intervenous and you know and took him all the way up to maryland to get that and it did help some but it made him worse and she tells tells me this after I get the treatment, it's eighteen thousand dollars. Makes it worse before getting better. And so anyway, she had an uptick when we got back and ends up back there in solitary confinement for five weeks. I couldn't even I couldn't even wrap my head around it. And you couldn't get to him he was in there like that? That's horrible. I couldn't get to him. They cut us off from everything. It was the most traumatic experience I could ever imagine that anybody's gone through and lived through it, you know? I mean, he's got this neurological condition, and then they put him in a single cell. They say it's a single cell, but it wasn't at all. And I won't get into the other things that happened in there, because we're kind of currently in a case with it. We're not supposed, I'm not supposed to talk about it, but I don't even know. So anyway, now we compound the situation with PTSD. And so I think that's why I wanted to write the book and educate people on this. Because, you know, if, if I'd known what to do in the beginning, if just one person had said, hey, antibiotics, long-term antibiotics, this is why, this is what's going to happen. They start and this is what's going to happen if you don't keep taking them. He would have never experienced any of that. Our family would have remained intact. I wouldn't have lost or whole, I mean, on and on and on and on, and then deal with these awful lawyers. You know, it's just a mess. It's a disaster. And I don't know, you know, I hope... Well, where, where, where are things at today? Have you resolved it, or where are you at? 
Well, that's the thing is I just, I knew that if I didn't figure out what it was that we were all going to, I don't know. I just felt like we weren't going to make it. So I ordered his, I'm, I'm set up appointments with like eight different specialists, a lung specialist. I had oh, 32 vials of blood drawn and analyzed it all. The only thing he had that was abnormal was a mycoplasma infection. And mycoplasma pneumonia is just like walking pneumonia, but he didn't have any of the symptoms of pneumonia. And I had his genes tested. We did a $10,000 genetic test. He didn't have anything wrong with his genes. Nothing. So ruled that out. Then we went to the this doctor and that doctor, and an immunologist, his immune system was fine. It was literally ruled everything out, just one thing at a time. And I thought, well, it's it's got to be the, the micro. It just has to be. This is the only thing that's left. And so even though it didn't make any sense to anybody else, you know, I just went on a mission to find out how mycoplasma could cause such issues and honestly once I just got away from everybody telling me wrong things and just focused I was able to get there and as it turns out this particular organism had been genetically modified by a team of well it's actually uh, scientists the army pathology lab the Department of Defense, I guess, Texas prison system, and they had kind of teamed up. And the way I understand it, it they were working on a bioweapon for Iraq. And I think at the time we were selling them things. I usually don't get too deep into that, but I will say that they use the death row inmates as their testing ground, which they I've learned off to do now in these private prisons. And, you know, this little town of Huntsville, Texas, unfortunately caught the brunt of it because you know, you've got an army general involved in microbiology. That's not a good thing at all. And even though the scientist let him know clearly that, hey, you know, we are going to genetically modify this, and create this, you know, insidious infection that no doctor can ever find. It's going to cause all crazy symptoms. Well, look at look at the past three years. See, no harm in that kind of stuff, right? Well, well golly, keep going. Go ahead. No, I mean, it's so true. And, you know, it was a little hard for me to tell the story. But then after COVID, I was like, well, there's round two. But so, you know, you've got an army general and you've got this infectious disease guy saying, hey, you know, there's all these consequences. We haven't thought through. We might should wait. He's like, don't feel it, you know. But here's the thing. I took a mycoplasma fermentins bacteria, which is typically found in the soil, is very benign. I mean, it has a very small genome, like I think 464 pairs, I think. And then you take that and you weaponize it. So you actually splice in some genetic code from HSV6 or HHV6. You are in one strain. You give another strain an EBB, another strain an HIV, envelope protein. And then you make it antibiotic resistant. And then you make it heat resistant so it can withstand the heat of the Kuwait desert. And then you infect someone with it. Well, here's the problem. Is the person that you're infecting is a live host, a living host. And it doesn't matter that they're in death row, in death row inmate because they also are sharing co-infection. And so you get in this organism and then you have genetic transference between mycoplasma fermentin and mycoplasma pneumonia. And then voila, all of a sudden, these very pathogenic qualities of this, you know, bioweapons now is in this airborne infection so not only that now you've got mycoplasma pneumonia that can transfer its genetic pathogenicity to store up the cockle pneumonia which is in our sinuses like that's our that's our nasal you know pharyngeal flora 
And so it's just like, okay, so now we've got this situation in our country. And no, the problem is not the antibiotics. The problem is not the physicians. The problem is the fact that they will not admit what they did so that everybody can get the correct treatment. That is the problem. And so now we all have this myriad of autoimmune diseases, all these psychiatric issues. Now, now their solution is monoclonal antibodies, you know, Sumera, all these things. But honestly, doxycycline, arenocycline in a combination with Synthromax or, you know, there's a protocol for it. Really, my son and I actually feel great. I also had a horrible autoimmune disease. I didn't know it was connected, but, you know, and uncovering what was going on with him, it was also the root of what was going on with me. How did you find out that the, the military was doing this? How did you find out all that info? There's a patent. Well, then I also read a lot. Well, I found out about Dr. Nicholson, Garth Nicholson, as his name. You know, as a scientist, you can't, you don't really trust everybody and what they say just on his face. But because I had gone to school back when he had discovered the the phospholipid nature of the cell membrane itself, and I was very aware of his work, and it was in all of our textbooks, and you know, he was kind of a hero back then. I totally believed him when I got on the website, imed.org, and I clicked on every article and I read every single publication he had. And I just was bawling. I was just bawling. And I just couldn't believe that this would happen in our country and that, you know, it would stay hidden and concealed and all these people would be so sick and not have a clue what was wrong with them. And then on top of it, be called crazy or be called it's all in your head. No, no, it's not. It's not in anybody's head or it's in the cells. You know, it was. How how many people in, uh, how how do you think he got exposed to it? How many people were in that local area that got exposed? Well, actually, I guess it's good and bad news was that my ex-brother-in-law, who since passed, was actually in the Texas prison system. I can't, maybe the 90s. So, and then he came to stay with us afterwards, like he was getting on his feet and we welcomed him in, welcomed him in you know, and he be carrying it with him. So here we are in little Franklin, Tennessee, which used to be a really nice place. And we all get this crazy thing and we never know what's going on. We, we did get really, really, really sick in the beginning. Like, I mean, deathly sick. It felt like what, what people describe as how they feel with COVID. That's what we felt like then. Then 2003, my sweet little poor side that gone through all this was two at the time. And I, I mean, he was so sick, his, you know, lips were parched. And, I mean, it was awful. But Jeez. yeah, and it's a very slow, it's very slow acting because once you contract it, you can either contract it like, you know, right away like we did, or you can contract it with 24 casual exposures. And to be honest with you, about this point in time, in our country, we've all been exposed to it at some level. I mean, I, I see clients at a spa and just the change in everyone's health from then to now is just incredibly bad. And nobody knows what's wrong and everybody has all these weird things. And it's just like, you know, I used to try to tell everybody and I just kind of at this point, you know, because then you get into like, well, just tell your doctor this or ask them this. And it's just a lot to try to get them going on the right path. Now, if they're really sick, I will try. But at the end of the day, um, it is just long-term antibiotic that makes everyone I worked with clear out. So um, you're saying that you, has this become widespread enough, this particular pathogen, that most people in the U.S. have been infected, or are there are multiple instances of this, and most people in the U.S. have been infected by at least one of them? What's your overall arching thought here? 
Well, I mean, everybody, you know, the, this onslaught of anxiety and ADHD and all of these things, all these symptoms. Now, the one thing is, it's not as simple as I'm making it sound in terms of this one organism, because you've got all these combinations and all these co-infections. And that's the thing is, I would, I did go back to medical school just because I wanted to see what they were saying about it. So they let me, I took the first class, which was awful, and then they let me fast forward to the infectious disease class and the thing although I like the instructor the thing that I just found so confusing was that there was no instruction on co-infection you know an interplay between these cytokine cascades and so it's just you know this one this one for this no and that and you cannot you cannot approach it that way it's a myriad of different organisms and there's a lot going on with that but there are some primary ones that they can make a lot of difference clearing people up but i would say everyone has has some form of this now you know at some point yeah how did you find a way to uh, treat him thankfully dr nicholson had a protocol on his website and i was really afraid for the safety of not only him but you know everyone and i'd seen some things that if this went untreated for too long there was some really th- bad things that could happen so I was able to get some antibiotics for him, but then I just understood that if I had it, he would have kid got it. And I learned that the animals get it. And, and that was kind of one of the things I did. I knew he had it. I took our dog to get tested and he had it. When the vet had argued with me beforehand, like, he's not going to have it. His dog's over having it. So I'm like, please just test the dog. I'm so tired of arguing. And he came back positive. So then I went and got tested and I was positive. And I thought, well, even if he gets better, then we're just going to reinfect him because it's airborne. So we all got on the protocol, and I ordered it from India. And I, I did hate to do that, you know? And I took the first one and waited a few days and made sure it was safe. But our situation was life or death, you know? And I, don't, and I think at this point in time, in fact, I will work with several physicians now. So if anyone wants to, and I highly recommend you mean I could care of a physician or Dr. Oaks, he does a wonderful job over on Columbia Avenue with treating these syndromes that are caused by these chronic intracellular infections. But it's not just the mycoplasma pneumonia. That's just the one that I happen to key in on. You know, there's the line that was up in Columbia Island. They actually spilled the ticks over or whatever that story is. And that's a tough one to treat. But the Lyme doctors tend to overlook the fact that there's the co-infection of the mycoplasma pneumonia. And so... A lot of those patients really don't get as as well as they couldn't if that was addressed. And then there's also the chlamydia pneumonia. So we basically just say that across the board, most things now just assume they're resistant. You know, sensitivity testing should be done. And you're not going to find it all the time by blood. And it's not going to be IgM. You know, you're not looking at the IgM. The IgG is actually the indicator of chronic infection. And, you know, what is IgG and IgM for people that don't know? Well, like IgM is the body's initial antibody response when it the first time that it sees an organism. So basically, like your an innate immunity. You know, you have these defenses that the first time I had COVID or whatever, I'll I'll get the first antibody round of antibodies that my body will do X, Y, and Z. But once I've seen that organism, then if I catch it again, my adaptive immunity. And that's the IgG. And so, you know, that's also a mistake I see a lot of physicians make is they'll just only look at the IgM, but that's just not going to get your patients, the patients any better, you know? 
All right, so what, what conditions um, appear to be amenable to this treatment regimen? Um, I would say most of them. I mean, I need to say that there's a book on autoimmune conditions, but what, what kind of conditions? So like um, a lot of psychiatric, believe it or not, bipolar. Now, now here's the thing, um, schizophrenia, a lot of these psychiatric conditions can be treated with antibiotics. And here's the thing that's important to know is that molecular mimicry is what is behind an antibody attacking. So if you have one of these pathogens inside of your cell and then an antibody is created, and let me just back up and explain in the audience and you can probably grasp it. These organisms will come in from the outside of a cell and actually kind of latch on. The mycoplasma pneumonia has a keyword adhesion protein that actually attaches to the cellular membrane. It takes approximately three hours to infect the cell. Now, once inside, it colonizes. But for that period of three hours, you've got antibodies that are recognizing this foreign, you know, object or foreign pathogen inside the body, and the antibodies are being created against this pathogen. However, it is basically, if you, for lack of a better word, stuck to the outside of the cell. And so you've got host cell proteins in combination with the proteins of the mycoplasma just sitting there holding on and antibodies are created against host cell protein. So from then on, you have this situation where when your body encounters that particular organism again, whatever it is, the antibodies that are going to attack are also going to attack self tissue. And so that's the premise behind the, you know, molecular mimicry. And so unfortunately, because antibodies aren't destroyed, that is something that each patient has to identify what the organisms are that were involved in like the onset of whatever disease they're facing and, and recognize that, you know, for the rest of their life, they have to manage not catching that disease, that, that pathogen. And then, but if antibiotics work, I would guess that these mycotoxins, et cetera, are at least susceptible to it. Otherwise, why would the antibiotics work? Right. Oh, absolutely. And so, the, yeah, that's that's the other piece is you've got the actual organism themselves inside of the cells, you know, and then you've got organisms in the bloodstream. And then you have the antibodies that were created as a result of the invasion of the organism and your tissue. So you've got kind of three things going on, if you will. And so, yes, you can, the, the infections can, you know, clear out for the most part. You know, sometimes if they get down as the bone tissue, that takes 10 years for those cells to turn over. But, but if you come off of the antibody and then you are exposed to that again, then you will, you know, react with the similar responses you did high before. You see what I'm saying? Well, then how are you supposed to help somebody if the antibiotics work, but they don't work forever? Well, I mean, you know, it depends. And you help them by assessing situations. Like if you had a child at home, they would stay on the antibiotic prophylactically. And sometimes you could be like three times a week because if mom, dad, sister decide, hey, you know, we don't have symptoms enough to, to do, go through all this. We don't feel like we need it. Okay, well, that's fine. But then little Johnny has to stay on prophylaxis until he moves away. Or he might, it might be determined he needs to stay on prophylaxis forever. I mean, and this is not a new concept. And this is what confuses me so much because, you know, in rheumatic heart, you know, it was well known and well accepted that you put someone on penicillin prophylactically forever because every time they would catch rheumatic, you know, catch strub, 
then it would it would give heart then, you know. And so I don't understand the push pull in our society as of today, other than initiatives. But yeah, you you tease that out in terms of what you're talking about. Um, keep in mind prophylactically, and then once they get married, you know, if they're new spouse and they have kids, you know, they could eventually probably come off of it if either everybody gets treated or they're married somewhere. Yeah, but how being, being on, on antibiotics, I mean, it hurts your microbiomes in your body. What about supplementing and trying to improve your microbiome instead of well, just taking the antibiotics for a very long time, which could be incredibly detrimental? Right. You know, that is something that, that deserves another show, actually, because that requires looking at each class of the antibiotics and understanding that the microbiome is not susceptible to all antibiotics. It's just like, you know, we've got Zithromax that targets this organism, the dis targets this organism. But, you know, minocycle, the tetracyclines actually are bacteriostatic versus bactericidal. So they don't go in and kill the organism. They just prevent replication. You know, so I've seen, you know, dermatologists put teenagers on, you know, tetracyclines for five years, six years for acne, and the kids were fine. So, hey, but if you if you stop the certain bacteria from proliferating, it still helps you the microbiome or the oral microbiome of someone before they start this, and as they take it, see how it changes. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason that you can, are able to get off the antibiotic at some point because maybe there's enough bacteria built up as an alternate. Once yeah. one bacteria has been stymied, then now the microbiome has changed and it's able to protect the person without any other intervention. You know, I, I would have to agree that in some cases, maybe in, in, you know, a lot, majority of cases, that's probably true. There are going to be some cases that are so, that, that are so extreme, like with my sign, but you know, if he gets struck, I mean, it, there's just, you, you, you would never believe it unless you saw it with your own eyes. So I know for him, he will stay on prophylaxis, you know, but I would say that in, in some, in most cases, I would have to agree that yes, I, absolutely. You know, changing the microbiome and making sure that those play, but you know, it's just how to measure that. That's the thing. It's just a little difficult to measure. And what do you, I mean, yeah, no, I, I agree. Probiotics are, are cheap. They're definitely cheap. And I think what I'm talking about today is, you know, when somebody gets on, on a program, you want to, I mean, do all the normal things to you. I'm not saying that just doing this alone is going to cure someone. You know, it's 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 putting everything together. But I think that what I'm talking about is the missing component of people being able to get the lice back. But I will say that, you know, it is not easy. It's a very, very tough protocol to get through. And if you just start swallowing antibiotics, you will get deathly sick if the doses will beat you high. And, you know, that's why a lot of these symptoms like gut problems, all these do get attributed to antibiotics. And I, I feel like that's a short, you know, answer, wrong answer sometimes, because if you do have a lot of pathogens in your gut and you kill off a large amount at one time, you are going to have a lot of cytotoxin release, a lot of an immune response, and your body is going to launch everything power just to get the good bacteria body parts if you will out of your body so maybe, maybe a better protocol would be to take you know one of these cyclines just less bacteria that would release cytotoxins yeah. you know if you're able to get the numbers down from i don't know you know yeah. five trillion down to 50 billion 
maybe that would be the a better protocol. Yeah, yeah, and I would that, and that's why I do think people need coaching, you know, through it because you have to work with every client, you know, because they'll just go gung ho once they they understand it, they'll understand the first part of it, and they'll just go sit the sauna and everything to kill the bacteria, and then they'll end up like, you know, not in a good place. So you have to say, okay, do you want it go slow and explain it all, and then kind of coach them through it. You know, if you get pretty tough and they don't understand die off, like the herb summer response is yes, the short term, almost kind of three, maybe five to seven days in, they'll get kind of like a fluish feeling. But afterwards, there's still a lot of die off. Like the symptoms unwind backwards. So, like, if you had, I don't know, for me, I had chondromalacia when I was like 28 for running the runner. And I remember. And I think about maybe six weeks into the protocol, my knees bruised up. They were hurting so bad. I was like, what in the world? And then I finally realized, okay, I get it now. It's unwinding the symptoms. So where you've been colonized, you know, colonized, they they get into all the tissue. I think that our symptoms might come from them colonizing initially because it is painful and problematic. Then I think once they're in all all the cells, then they go somewhere else. And then the symptom kind of isn't so bad, but they're still there. So then when you go to start unwinding, you know, you know, I had swollen ankles. I mean, it was awful. My ankles swole so big because I, yeah, it's very, it's honestly a very fascinating subject. And I could go on for hours and hours and hours. And we don't have that long. <laughs> well, what about, um, you're infected with a given bacteria or other toxin, trying to look at the metagenomics of that toxin to see what biological processes or metabolites it's creating that your body may be using because then when you stop its function or slow it maybe that uh, you know it produces a certain molecule that actually is you know maybe some molecules are harmful maybe there are some that are helpful maybe it's taking over the job of other you know microbiome flora fauna that the uh, flora some that that we're doing a certain job so again through metagenomics you may be able to see that and that might give you more insight as to what will happen once you start to attack it and get rid of it, or what to replace it with? Well, I mean, certainly that deserves, you know, some research and, you know, some testing. I would say that is possible. I just, yeah, I don't know. It, it, when there's something that comes into your body it is so pathogenic, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely worth looking into. I mean, but I think the more people that become aware of this, the faster we're going to be able to get the solution. Because certainly it's not, you know, convenient or easy to go through the treatment protocol. And, you know, we've been told such bad things about antibiotics. But, I mean, I've seen people on it for years. And, I mean, honestly, yes, in the beginning, my stomach hurt really, really bad. You know, but then it goes away. or And then you'll get this one this one thing. And I didn't do anything. I didn't do any treatment for any of those die-off symptoms. I just started Benadryl. You could do Benadryl 30 minutes before you take yours at night. I'm at the, you know, charcoal, activated charcoal throughout the day to soak up some of the cellular toxins and to reduce the immune response. And then that usually knocks all that out or the majority of it. But I, yeah, that would be really good and helpful to see what you're talking about. Well, I can, I can see it. Like it, it's, it requires many areas of study and a lot of work. What really needs to be done to characterize the best way to help people because they're different, the infections are different, et cetera. But just trying to give ideas on maybe how to improve the process for understanding it better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we're just so quick. We go in and, you know, psychiatric medications. It took me 
a while to learn that, you know, psychiatric medications are immunosuppressive. And so they simply put a lid on the immune response. I even heard, I I guess it was, because of course we're at first, you know, kind of figured this out in 2014. Everybody thought it was crazy, but I really didn't care because it was true for us. And now people send stuff to me all the time and they think they just added a recommendation for antibiotic to be added to a psych med to help with, with the results. And I know ketamine, those ketamine infusions for PTSD, the only thing that's supposed to make those more effective is if you add antibiotics to the IV. And so there's just enough evidence out there now. And then of course, I think that COVID, like you said, was, I mean, I know that we were working on it in 2003 and then it was some ethic committee that got, you know, really upset over it. That all yeah, because you're trying to help help people without uh, enslaving them to drugs for the rest of their life. So, of course, it's unethical. And they have to stop it. Yeah. It's horribly unethical. And so, what is the solution? To just fund it, but just move it to a different country? I mean, these people just make you sick. But we won't get into that. So, when we got, get the COVID, you know, that's uh, the different kind of spike protein. But I feel like the goal was... You know, let's take all these people that are chronically sick and just go ahead and knock them out. And I'm just like, is parasite? That's what it is. Well, all right. So, so your book again. What what kind of feedback are you getting? What are the most common conditions that people are coming to you for help with? Well, I mean, I have done some post COVID vaccine work. I've done some post COVID work. I mean, I've got Parkinson's, Pandas, of course, which is now I think known as autoimmune encephalitis. I think lupus, ALS, ALS. If you catch it early. You know, and, and then you have to get a doctor to help with that. You know, if you're a little more advanced, then the IV antibiotics, you really have to do, you know, start with that. You could kickstart. You know, it's- you know, it'll be interesting if of all the bad organisms that you've run across, I've thought about this before, probably ideally someone should get their microbiome looked at, you know, at least their gut microbiome or oral microbiome for a simple proxy, like every six months. And then if you get sick and something happens to you, you can look at it now. Let's see what's different. Yeah. They maybe work to correct it with probiotics and, you know, selective antibiotics, et cetera. But yeah. if people had a good baseline like that, they'd probably come from a point of a lot more knowledge on how to help themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I totally agree with that. You know, and it's like making sure that that initial baseline, you know, that polymerase chain reaction testing is used and that you're not missing anything on the front end. Because sometimes so often it's hard to know if what you know when you're going in somewhere to get a test, you really know. Hey, are you running IgM and IgG? I mean, we're all supposed to have to also be physicians, you know. But unfortunately, that's where we are for ourselves. So it's like, okay, what are you running? What are you testing for? I'm like, it's just a simple blood panel or your analysis. You know, tell me. So it gets a little compl- complicated. But I 100% agree with you. Baseline. Mandatory. So, um, where are you going from here? Are you going to do more books? Are you continuing the study? Like, where do you want to take this? I am not sure as of today. I recently just made a very huge discovery a couple of weeks ago that has my head spinning. And so now it's like, okay, it is this group of people, these, these private they continue to do these, these horrible things. And it's like, do we spend our time like, trying to go in behind them and basically figure out what they did and then spend 10 years getting a solution and everyone, you know, suffers or do we stop them? Somehow do we stop them? And that's where I am today. I'm like, just 
tired of it. And, you know, they come set these ICE detention centers up and they had these contracts with these, you know, they get these foreign countries. It, it's just a mess. And how do we stop that? Because I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So I've been contemplating that very thing lately. I don't think you're going to be able to stop any of those bad actors, but you certainly could refine and improve the uh, what you learned and then offer it to people. Some will take it, most won't, but that's probably my guess is what you could do. That is true. You know, and then even if they're just figuring, I mean, in, in learning kind of how their minds work so far, it's basically the same gig. You know, they'll come up with a huge protein. I mean, to, it's kind of coming from the same group. And then, you know, I just think you know, on my doxycycline, I never got COVID. I didn't get the vaccine. I don't do any of that. And I just, you know, typically stay on it. Now, sometimes I'll miss a week or something if I'm busy, but I just stay on it. And I and I just wonder if that's not something that can offer some protection, even, you know, like just three times a week or something. I don't know. But it's just a sad, sad situation. But it's it's really good to have someone like you that's shining a light on things and making sure that audiences that can, you know, possibly do something about it or help with the treatments are, are getting this information. Well, so if someone suspects that them or someone they care about has a problem that your book can address, you know, obviously get the book. I'm sure it's on Amazon and everywhere else. But in the medical community, where have you found any interest or any traction? Like functional medicine doctors, homeopathic doctors, or is nobody willing to touch this? No, no, no. There's a lot of people that are willing to touch it. Sometimes their their approach is some things I don't really think will work that well, you know, but there's a lot of people trying to treat it. And so that's encouraging. I really highly recommend uh, Dr. Oaks and he will see patients like on Zoom. If somebody is like, completely against antibiotics when you have our plan b program which are is our zyto scan and we use research nutritionals which are nutraceuticals they're not supplements and we do the scanner and we can assess situations like that, that as well doesn't seem to work quite as well but there's just some people that just will not do antibiotics so that's totally fine but what's wrong with my child.com is the website that you can go to you can download a couple chapters of the book yeah, take a look and read the book and then reach out via our contact form. And I'm happy to answer any questions or help anyone that needs any help. But that's Elizabeth Harris, what's wrong with my child.com. And just go grab a couple of the chapters and see if it's recognizable. I will say that, you know, I kind of stopped at this point and I'll just mention that in that town of Huntsville, Texas, where they did the testing, AS, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, ALS was up 5,000 times higher than the rest of the country. Now, this is back in that 80. Now, now it's high everywhere, but that just kind of also gives some of the syndromes that this organism I'm talking about actually was responsible for gold force syndrome, autism. Just It's just on and on and on. <laughs> Craziness. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And, you know, I know you're sharing this, like, incredibly frustrating, painful nightmare scenario, but thank God you're doing it. And I appreciate you being here and talking about all this. Well, thank you so much for allowing me the chance to share it. And, um, you know, we are actually pretty good today and things are much better. And this, this really does make me happy being able to help others. So thank you so much. Excellent. Magnesium is integral for 600 plus biochemical processes in the human body. And yet most people are deficient. Common signs of magnesium deficiency include fatigue, muscle weakness, stunted growth, poor immune function, poor concentration in memory hormonal imbalances, bone and teeth problems. 
Most people think grabbing a bottle of whatever cheap stuff on the shelf or at the top of Amazon will solve this. The common misconception is that consuming more magnesium will automatically improve health and well-being. The truth is there are various forms of magnesium, each of which is essential for a variety of physiological processes. Most people are deficient in all forms of magnesium, while even those considered healthy typically only ingest one or two kinds. Consuming all seven of magnesium's primary forms is the key to accessing all of its health benefits. That's why we pack seven forms of 450 milligrams of elemental magnesium into each serving of Wild Mag Complex. One dose a day is all you need. Learn more and grab a bottle today at wildfoods.co. Use code GENIUS for 10% off your order. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.